Little Stephen hugged and kissed his mom goodnight. Mommy, I love you so much that when you die, I'm going to bury you outside my bedroom window. <laughs> That's love, man. <laughs> I mean, I had my gerbil died, and I buried him outside my bedroom window, but not my mama. She's still alive, so. James was li listening to a Bible story. His, his dad read, quote, the man named Lot was warned to take his wife and flee out of the city, but his wife looked back and was turned to salt. James, so concerned, asked, what happened to the flea? <laughs> we're trying. We're just, we're trying. We're trying. We're making our, it's the best I got. It's the best I got. Come on. One person said, having a family is like having a bowling alley installed in your head. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, depending on the age of those children, you really know what I'm talking about. There are two things in life for which we are never truly prepared. I can testify this. Twins. Two things in life for which we are never Twins, get it? Two? Okay, sorry. The worst sensation I know of, Ken Hibbert said, the worst sensation I know of is getting up at night and stepping on a toy train. Jim Bishop said, watching your daughter being collected by her date feels like handing over a million dollar Stradivarius to a gorilla. And I'm a father of three daughters. Trevor, amen. Yeah. All right, we'll get serious here, and this will be the beginning. We're going to talk about family today. The family, Ariel and Will Durant, this is not funny, but the family is the nucleus of civilization. The family is the nucleus of civilization. It's interesting as we open up the very, very first pages of the Word of God, and I remember as, as a new believer wanting to read my Bible and uh, really, candidly, not really understanding the Bible, but uh, I would get about 15 chapters into Genesis, and I'd pretty much quit because I didn't get it. But I did get, you know, the Lord kind of front ends so much vital information in the beginning chapters of Genesis because he tells us about his seven days of creation. And Genesis chapter 1, he talks the first five or six days that as he speaks and things come uh, into, in, into life and light, heaven and earth, he speaks light, let there be light, and there was light, and he saw that it was good. He, he spoke uh, the day and the night, the waters, atmosphere, uh, land, grass. He spoke these things into existence. Plants came popping out of the earth, fruit trees. How many thankful for fruit trees? Yeah. Apples and bananas and pears and oranges and and the sun and the moon and the stars and the, the whales of the sea and, and the fish that swim and the birds and the ducks and the geese. Can't wait to shoot them this year. Before I got to church here today, I was getting right, jumping in my truck, getting ready to leave, and I looked out there and there was there were some ducks out there. So I pulled out my binoculars, my binocular, I'm looking out there and there's some, I'm just thinking, I can't wait to shoot you. God gave us all these things, all these things that he created, the ducks and the geese and the, and the wild animals, the eagles and the hawks, the cows, the lions, the, the tigers, the cougars. 
even the spiders, even the mosquitoes, he, all of these things, planets and beauty and creation and angels. And it's interesting to me as you walk through the days of, of creation, though, that all of these things, though amazing that they are, I mean, do we really stop every once in a while and realize I've got a tremendous level of appreciation and gratitude. What an amazing world that God built. What a beautiful world that God built. Last night as the sun was setting and I was looking out across the lake and watching the beautiful colors of that sunset and just thought, man, what, how amazing God is in creating all of this amazing creation. And it's interesting when he, on the end of the first day, he, he, he created, he said, it was good. Second day, he created, said, it was good. Third day, created, said, it was good. Fourth day, it was good. Fifth day, it was good. And then, but the bottom line was it wasn't enough. All the lovers of nature, nature is beautiful, but all that God created, that, that was not the end of his ultimate final creation, what he was really after, because situating in the middle of this beautiful world that God made, uh, the Bible says that God made man in the image of God created he him. And then at the end of the sixth day, it says, and God said that it was very good. Creation is, is amazing. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it mesmerizes us. It's, it's, it's tremendous. But it was the sixth day when God, it's almost as if the Lord is saying, well, I made all this beautiful stuff, but I, I, I need me a companion. I need someone that I can walk with and commune with and fish and birds and cows and animals and sun and moon and star. That's all beautiful. But God said, I, I need me someone that I can fellowship with. And so he made this beautiful creation called man and mankind. And he was so pleased with it. He was so happy with it that he said, it is good. I want you to know something here this morning. If you're just not a nobody going nowhere. You're not a blip on a screen. You're, you're, you're not uh, the product of a hairball with bad breath. Evolutionary random processes that accidentally and incidentally over the course of hundreds of millions of years out of some primordial soup, uh, out of that came this animal and another animal that just evolved and accidentally and incidentally you became a human. I want you to know this morning that God created you with purpose, uh, that God made you, that God not only made you, but he loves you and he made you for fellowship. Uh, and there's something that even though he had all of his creation, what he was really after was someone that he would have relationship with. Someone that he could know intimately. Someone that he could have an intelligent conversation with and he could fellowship with. And our Bible tells us that in the cool of the day that God would show up and Adam would walk in the cool of the day and he would walk with his God and he would talk with his God and he had a relationship with his God. And it was the ultimate the ultimate of the creation of Almighty God when he created mankind. And I thank God for that. I thank God he created humans. And he was satisfied with it because we know based on the scripture that he says it was very good. I find something so benevolent about the heart and the nature of God though even though he was personally satisfied he had creation he had a relationship he had man that he had created that was his that he could fellowship and spend time with there's a really unique thing that he says how understanding that God is how good God how kind that the Lord is in Genesis 2 and 18 the Lord God said even though everything was good and it was very good when he made man 
He said in Genesis 2 and 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. We got some smart men in this building saying amen. It is not good, God said, that the man should be alone. He said, I will make him and help meet for him and help meet. It's a combination of two words, help, help. God said, I'm going to bring you someone that's going to be of assistance to you. All you men need to thank God for that. They can pick your clothes out. They can dress you where you look civilized. <laughs> help, assistance, contribute to the fulfillment of a need, further an effort or purpose, someone that would come alongside of, that would help you to fulfill a fundamental purpose. God gave that to the man. He gave woe man. Woe man. You know how she was named woe man, right? He woke up. He falls asleep. Now, that's a scary proposition all by itself. You fall asleep and you wake up married. <laughs> you talk about an arranged marriage. I believe, I'm a father. I, I believe in that doctrine. Arranged marriages must be the will of God. <laughs> but he woke up and he looked over and he said, whoa, man. <laughs> We'll leave that one alone. <laughs> Help meet. Meet means likeness, similar in appearance, character, or nature, facing or towards the same direction. Facing toward the same direction. And help meet. God brought to the man a woman. And the man and the woman, he brings them together so they could have fellowship with one. Because even God, God had what he wanted in a man. But he realized that that man by himself was alone and needed someone to share this life with him. And he was so good that he gave that man a, a woman and the two of them. So good God was that he recognized the need of mankind for us to have partnership and to have fellowship and to not walk through this life alone. And he gave, he gave Adam a wife. And then he gave them a great command. The command was he told them, be fruitful and multiply. You want me to translate that for you? I hope you do because I'm going <laughs> to. Be fruitful and multiply. What's that mean? That means have lots of babies. That means have babies. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's more than one way to grow a church, Malcolm. You win souls to God, and the people that are in the church have lots of babies. Have lots of babies. Fill up that Sunday school with babies. I mean, we had four. That ought to be the minimum standard. Amen. He said, okay, so watch. He said, be fruitful and multiply, and they did that. And the byproduct of that was what? And also, don't forget that the Spirit of the Lord would walk in the cool of the garden while Adam and Eve were there. So you have a man and a woman that are both in fellowship with God. That's God's, you want to know what God's plan is? God's plan is if you're married, God's plan is that you and your wife would walk together with God. This whole idea just really struck me in prayer a couple weeks ago when it hit me because sometimes, you know, you pray the scripture and all of a sudden the lights go off. And in the Bible, say, it does not say that God walked with Adam. It doesn't say that God walked with Enoch. It says that Enoch walked with God. Did you get it? 
Because God is always on a walk. He's going somewhere. He's got purposes in mind. And if we're wise and if we're smart, what we'll do is figure out where God's at and we'll get with him and we will walk with God. Can I tell you something here today? If you want to have a walk with God, I've got good news for you. God wants you to have a walk with him. He wants you to have a relationship with him. It's the ultimate design of his creation that every single human being would be able to walk and talk and commune and fellowship and live life and do life with God. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. That's not just something that happens on... Listen, you don't... don't, If the only time you have a connection with God is on Sunday, probably what you're doing is dating God. That's going on a date. I went on a date. I met with God at church. Can I tell you, and that's good. I'm not, I mean, I I just, I mean, I I like had the whole spiel at the beginning here talking about, right, about some assembly required. Going to church is good. That's all important. But listen, this time that we spend ought to augment and be auxiliary and helpful to us on Monday walking with God and on Tuesday walking with God and on Wednesday walking with God and on Thursday walking with God matter of fact let me let me just deal with this because there's some people that have sin problems in their life they're trying to live for the Lord and they're struggling with with living for God and they're like well I go to church can I tell you that you can take church with you when you leave church and you can have a, a relationship with God the presence of God walking with you complicity and compliance to God's word and God's will on Thursday at nine o'clock at night just like you do on Sunday morning at uh, whatever it is 11 11 15 you can have a walk with God, and that is ultimately God's design for us to walk with God. So you have the man, you have the woman, the two of them walking together with God, and then being fruitful and multiplying, and this is the beginning, okay, are we ready? A family day. You have the creation of the family. I would say here today that all of us ought to thank our great God that he has given us the gift of our family. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. Matter of fact, I'm trying not to get too deep here, but the truth of the matter is when you, your life begins to wind down in the closing moments of your life, when you, you know, maybe got monitors hooked up to you and maybe your maybe hospice has been called in and you're, you're laying on that bed and you have lived your full, full life and you are coming to the end of your life. Most likely, the only people that are going to be in that room are the people that you call your family. That's why I don't know about you, but a priority of all of our lives should be if that's really where it's going to end, then I want to make sure that I've got a healthy family. I thank God for my family. I want to appreciate my family. These are the people that know you the most. These are the people that can protect you. These are the people that you will share your life with. I would say that one of the most important assets in the world, it's not necessarily what everybody else in the world thinks about me. Really, it's what my family thinks about me because they really know me. Somebody said amen most important asset in my life is those that are closest to me. They are my family. What I want to talk about here this morning, though, is I'd like to 
kind of amplify a concept out of the Word of God. It's not the word family. We talk about <clears throat> family is a predominant Old Testament word. So if you look in the Old Testament, you'll find the word family over and over and over and over and over again. Do you realize that when you turn to the New Testament, you will not find the word family very often? You will find a concept that is similar, but you'll not find that same word family in the New Testament like you do in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the word that you're going to find is the word household. Okay? Household. I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to think about with me. If I were to ask you what comes to mind when I use that word, what would come to your mind? If I use the word household, what do you think about? within your house. So household, be within your house, okay? Household. In some ways, if I were to ask what's the current definition of household, I think probably most people, what they would say is if, if we think in contemporary 21st century American culture, if we said your household, we would primarily think of our family, right? What'd you say, fair assessment? Husband, wife, children. Husband, wife, children. Can I tell you this morning that biblically the word household is much bigger? Okay? So the contemporary de definition of household would be just, if you allow me to say it like this, me and mine, my family. You know, my, my kids, my wife, us, that's family. But when you get into the Bible, the word household is much more inclusive. The word household is much larger. The, the Greek word for household is oikos. And what it means is one of the persons who compose a household, usually consisting of family, servants, extended family, and oftentimes even beyond that. Let me give you some examples out of the scripture. Romans 16 and 10 says, Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. 11, salute, salute Herodia, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Notice this, Acts 16 and 15. The Bible says, and one, when she was baptized and her household, and her household. Man, I feel like preaching here this morning. That could it be that the revival that God's going to bring in the 21st century now, we thank God for every person that, that gives their life to Jesus Christ, repents of their sins, water baptized, and filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, every individual. But could it be, according to the Scripture, there were oftentimes that when the gospel made inroads, it didn't just make inroads into an individual's life, it came into that individual's life, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, and all of a sudden, like a raging fire, it began to flow to all of those that were under the influence of that individual or connected to that individual. It was a revival of not just a single person, but everything that was connected to that person in their, in their household. Maybe one of the greatest revivals we're going to see is all of a sudden where people start coming to God, not just in ones or twos, but they start coming to God in tens or twenties or, or dozens because the influence of what God is doing through one person's life now is spreading out to many others. And that's a biblical concept. I got one family name that I could bring to address that, and that is Marlette. <laughs> I told Brad this morning, I said, I want to be friends with you guys. You know why? Because there's like 10,000 of them in Deer River. Because mom and dad were fruitful and multiplied. And they had lots of kids. Lots of kids. 
good Catholic family, walked in what they knew, and all of a sudden, I think it was, was it Margie, were you the first one? Margie got the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. She went home and started telling her family about it, and her dad, pretty sternly, from my understanding, said, more or less, that was out of line. We don't do that. That's crazy. He sat back in his chair and said, we don't do that. Oh, but when the Holy Ghost starts moving... And then another family member came in, and they got the Holy Ghost. Then another family member came in. They got baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And, an, and another one was kind of sitting back, checking out, saying, I don't know what I think about this. And God got a hold of them, and they got saved. And it was a, a, a whole, wasn't a whole lot longer before Dad, who had been sitting back in his chair, was speaking in tongues, getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, because God did for his family what he did for his family, he did for him. And then the whole household came in and the, and the church tripled in size probably in about a year. You get it? Because of a household, a household, a household. It wasn't just an individual. It was, it was an extended grouping. It was an extended, an extended family. The Bible says, Hebrews 11 and 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Notice with me. He prepared the ark to the saving of his house. Even though his sons had, were married and they had wives, he included all of them in his house, in his household. It wasn't just Noah and Mrs. Noah as elders whose kids had moved out of the house. It was, it was, the, whole, it was the whole house. So my message this morning on family day is the ever-expanding family from me and mine to us and ours. Okay, so let me walk this out for a little. What do you mean by that? What I mean is that there are two ways that all of us here can look at our family. Two ways. We can look at our family as, number one, it's me and mine. It's just my little brood here. It's me and my wife and, and uh, you know, my children, and that, that's all there is to it. And I can put parameters and boundaries around it and say, you know, family is just me and mine. Or can I propose to you a better biblical spiritual way that really works, that is powerful for all of us? And that is, it's not just about me and mine. It's about us and ours. In other words, my family, thank God, and I love my family dearly. I thank God for my family. I want all my family to be saved. I want all my family to walk with God. We have family nights. We love our family. But what I have learned over time that my family is so blessed because it's a part of a bigger family. My family is blessed because it's not just about me and mine. It's about us and ours. That my family is connected to a larger whole called the household of God, the family of faith, the children of God. And my family has been blessed because it's not just about me and mine, but it's about us and ours. Praise God. And I would say this, that the macro affects the micro. In other words, it's important, the church that you're a part of. Or a lot of people say that. And I'm not, when I say that, I don't mean like brand loyalty. I don't just mean like, you know, your flavor or your denomination. I'm not even just saying that. I'm saying your local church is so important. My local church is so important, not just because it's called River of Life, but because my family is blessed by having interconnections with other families in the church, other people in the church. I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, 
cleansed by his blood join as with Jesus as we travel this sod SOD I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God aren't you thankful for the family of God today amen amen there is a community that we are a part of a community so you can think of it like this there's you know, there's in this church, I am thankful there are, there are whole groupings of people. You have all these families. And if you look around, oftentimes they sit together in church or they sit near each other. You know, they got their spot. And they almost, some of them dominate two or three rows. But you got all these different families, right? Families, families, families. But you know what? It's not about there being a wall around this family and a wall around this family. And this, it's just me and mine. It's just, but what it is, it's, it's that the whole, all of the church, all of the, all of the families of the church, there's one family. And I got a bad marker here, but you get the point, right? There's one family that we get to be a part of. It's the family of God. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord for that. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So notice with me some, some biblical concepts here. Ephesians 2 and 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners. Look at your neighbor and say, you are not a stranger. You are not a foreigner. And allow me to just extrapolate on this principle you may be brand new to church here brand new baptized in jesus name and you got the training wheels on your spiritual bike right you're trying to get your feet under you're trying to get this life figured out and i want some strong saints that have been around a while to say amen that some of these new ones that are coming in it takes a little while to get those wobbly legs strong because you're learning a new way of life and I remember when I first came into church, I was a long-haired rock and roller. I know you have a hard time picturing that. I do too because Jesus changed my life so much. But I remember coming to church and getting the Holy Ghost and just feeling like this is so brand new. I felt like I, I didn't have church clothes. Which, by the way, you come to church the way that you are. If you're a guest here, there isn't a dress code. That's a funny question that gets asked quite often. You come to church how you are. That's it. I, so I, I would come to church and I didn't have the dress codes. I felt like it didn't fit in. But I'm so thankful that there was a family of God. I could begin to, to click them off right now. A family of God. There were people that enveloped me into their world. They invited me out to eat after church. And literally the highlight of my life as a new convert was being able to go out to eat after church with my youth group, my family. I, I didn't even know that you could have fun legally. And we did, man. We had so much fun, and it was like, this, this is the Christian life. But what do you say? I'm saying they, they pulled me in. They enveloped me in. So sometimes when you're brand new, you may be like, well, I don't know if I f you fit in. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are a part of the family of God. I'm going to say it again. You are a part of the family of God. See, I don't feel like it. I don't care what you feel like. You are a part of the family of God. 
because we all have the same father. We've been all been baptized in the same name of Jesus. We have the same Holy Ghost. We are a part of the family of God, and this is one family of God. This is one church, and I'm so thankful that God has allowed me to be included in the household of God. The household of God. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It says you are are no more strangers and foreigners, Ephesians 2, 19, but fellow citizens with the saints, and notice what it says, and of the household of God, oikos, the household, you're in the house, the household of God. Galatians 6 and 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are, there it is again, of the household of faith. The house, the church is a household. It's a household of faith. 1 Peter 4 and 17 uses the word house. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house, same word oikos, the house of God. It's the conglomerate, conglomeration of all of the individual saints of God that gather together as one and that there is one family that we are a part of and that we are a part of the family of God, the household of faith, the house of God. I'm so thankful that I'm a part of the household of God. I'm so thankful I'm a part of the family of God. But what I want you to know is that household is a much broader concept. It's a broader concept. And God knows that we are so much better in a healthier community. I've got a wonderful family. I thank God for my family. I've got, I've got four children and I've got, I've got grandkids. That's right. I got two of them and I got a third one on the way. I got a third one on the way. I'm grandpal. I'm too young to be a grandpa. <laughs> Quit your laughing around, Marlette. That's enough. I still haven't figured out what they're all going to call me. Grandpa. But you know what? It's, I, I love my family. I thank God for my family. But the greatest asset that my family has is the family of God. Period. End of story. They are a part of something bigger than just us. Do we get together? Yes, we get together in family. We have family nights. We try to every Monday night. And we eat food together. And uh, we have fun together. We joke. We talk. We disagree. Iron sharpens iron. And that's, that's, that's our family night. You know what Sunday night is, Al? Sunday night is family night. Hearing the word praying together, being in these altars together. You may be going through something and all of a sudden somebody just comes up along next to you, puts their arm around you and begins to pray for you. You hear intercession coming out of their mouth. You hear words coming out of their mouth that identify with exactly where you are that ministers to your heart and to your soul. I'm telling you, the greatest asset you have this side of heaven is the family of God that's in your life, the family of God. It's not just me and mine. It's us and ours. I can remember my children growing up when the church was much, much smaller. I won't get into stories. The older I get, the easier stories are. We could spend two hours here this morning. Leaving your kids at church accidentally, getting home and realizing they were left at church. 
But you know what, my, my kids, we, the Lord called us here many, many years ago, and my, my family, my immediate, the Lictal family, my parents live 830 miles from here. So the consequence of that is we weren't able to be there very often, and they weren't able to be here very often. At that time, Brother Merrick was pastoring in Duluth, was very, very busy. We would see him quite often at, uh, you know, different events and things like that, but just due to life and what have you. But I tell you, I'm so thankful that stepping into some of those voids in this church, there were people that stepped in and became like aunts and uncles to my kids, that became like uh, mentors in their life, that took them under their wing. And I look back and I think of the Cindy Marlettes. I think of, I, I think of, of so I think of Ron and Tammy. I think of, of Sarah. You know, Sarah taking care of our twins, and, and we didn't have family in town. So if we were going to go out of town, it was somebody in the church typically was, was going to help out. And our kids would, would stay with their kids. And, and I look back and I think, what a rich upbringing that my children had. I didn't have that growing up. I wasn't raised in the church. All I had was me and mine. All I had was my immediate family. And I think my children had the asset of having a greater community that they were connected with that wasn't any old community. It wasn't a hockey community. I'm not, I'm not throwing javelins or spear. I'm just saying the ultimate community that you could be a part of. I mean, you can try to involve yourself in an athletic community, or, and people do that. There are people groups throughout our world that people connect with. But the greatest asset that my family had is this right here. When we were a smaller group, was this right here, and people that stepped into their lives, and people that loved them, and people that invested in them, and people that taught them, their Sunday school teachers, their youth ministers and their youth leaders. I'm telling you this morning that one of the greatest assets that we have is the household of faith, the household of God. And when we look around this place, we don't have just a bunch of disparate, disconnected families here, but we got families that are interconnected as one. And I thank God this morning for the fellowship, and I thank God for the love, and I thank God for the connection that Jesus Christ uses as the gathering point as we gather together and we are better together than we are alone literally we do life together until the Lord comes we do life together this is why going to church is an important connection it's a physical ratification of our belief in God's community we go to church because we are the church and the good news is, though, that when we leave this place right here in the same way, like my family has family night on Monday night, on Wednesday or Thursday when we're not together as a family, we're still connected because we are a family. You know what that means? In the same way here, we gather together. It's just, this is like, like I said, Sunday night is like family night. Sunday morning is like family day. We're, this fam in case you didn't know, it's family day. We're like, to, we're gathering as a family. But the good news is that when I leave this place, I'm not alone in this world, but I've got a body of Christ uh, that I'm walking through this world with. Uh, and I thank God, I thank God for the blessing that I have in the church of the living God. I hate to tell you this, some of you parents, but your kids are going to leave home. They're going to, they're going to leave home. They're going to leave you. But you know what the good news is? They don't leave your household. The group may grow, but they don't, they don't leave your, your household. It's like the church. When you leave this church this morning, 
you're still connected. They're saying today that one of the greatest problems, especially in a post-pandemic America, one of the greatest problems that people are dealing with in our world today is loneliness. Loneliness. They have data on it. They literally, I heard it said yesterday, I thought it was very, very powerful. Studies have been done that they say literally that having a friend can change the chemistry of your brain. Having a friend, knowing there is one of the most devastating things for a person in life, even physically when it comes to sicknesses and things like this, that a person is vulnerable if they're alone, if they have no connections, they have no relationships, they're all by their se- themselves. They, 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 there's so much vulnerabilities that come with that. There is such a benefit that comes in us not being alone as we go through this life and through this world. God has given us a family And the larger family is the family of God. Amen. So how do we be a good family? There are two things I'll share with you as we begin to close. The first thing I will say, let us never forget. Let us never make an idol out of the family. I'm going to say that again. Because America, in many ways, the pendulum has swung in an opposite direction. Maybe there wasn't enough parental attention to kids. Maybe it could be said 50 years ago. Today, in many ways, the centerpiece of the world has become the children, in many ways, in American society. So what I'm saying here, even as the church, the church can never substitute for my relationship with God. It should augment my relationship with God. So what makes the church the church is when everybody that is in the church is reaching up to Jesus. When everybody in the church is establishing their own, and it's, I mean, it's the same way like a marriage works. You want to have a really healthy marriage, you know, I'll, I'll draw a picture for you. Here's how you have a healthy marriage. A healthy marriage is like a, it's like a triangle. Here's the husband, here's the wife. You know how you have a healthy marriage? The, this is Jesus. As the husband is reaching toward Jesus, I'm talking in every way, obedience in life, obedience to the scripture, obedience to the word, prayer, love for God, all of these things. And as the wife reaches out to Jesus in her own individual way, walking with God, obedience to the word, all of those, as the two of them reach up to Jesus, what happens? That that husband and that wife will grow closer together. They'll have a better relationship, a stronger relationship as they reach up to God. Do you want to have a great church? That's not a rhetorical question. Do you want to have a great church? Let me tell you how you have a great church. You have a great church by you reaching up to Jesus. The better relationship that you have with your God, then you come into the assembly and you bring something with that. And that's what connects this church together. What makes a strong church is a church that's filled with people that walk with God. Hmm. Can you lift your hand to the Lord and ask God to help us with that? In the name of Jesus, be the centerpiece of it all. We sing the song, Jesus, be the center of it all. That's our prayer today, oh God. Let it be real. In all of our lives, Lamb of God, help us to walk with you. Bless your people. That's the purpose of the church, that we would all draw near to you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Strengthen every single believer, God, to be connected to you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Because the truth is, I can never be fully healthy and become what God wants me to become without him in my life. So the centerpiece of the family is who? Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The scripture bears this forward in Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
Man, we could preach about that for a while. Shema, Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one God. And in response to that, that revelation of there being one God, in response to knowing this one God, what should the response be? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. When you find out who that God is, now with all my heart, soul, my might, I'm going to love that God with all that I have. And I really like the next verse flows right into the consequences of that understanding of the one true God, me then making a determination that I'm going to love and serve that God. Notice, the, notice what he ties in. He ties in the family. And he said, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And notice what he says. So love, love God with all you have. There's one God. Love him with all you have. And then he says, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Now, you, now what you have and your love for God, now it flows down and out and through. And now you're teaching your, your children. And thou shalt talk of them in church on Sunday morning. Which, obviously, we're going to. But when thou sittest in thine house, over a cup of coffee at, at the dinner table, in the car, on your way to wherever. And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. But do you see the core? The core begins with this. Loving God with all that I have. There's one God. I'm going to love him individually. Then I'm going to take what he has put into me, and now I'm going to teach the little bambinos that are around me, that are dandling at my knees, my children, and as they grow, I'm going to teach them, right? That, that's what he's saying. That's the key to it all. We, every one of us reach up to God. We reach out to God with all that we have, and he becomes the centerpiece of our earthly family. Oh, man. And he becomes the centerpiece of the church. He's the one we worship. Come on, somebody. He's the one we're singing about. He's the one we're preaching about. He's the one we're living for. He's the one that's going to take us to a glorious heaven. He's the one. His spirit is going to be the one that blasts us off this planet in the end time. He is the one that we love and we worship. He is the one. Amen. And furthermore, what I have, I mean, this is not profound. It was profound to me, but it's not that profound. When I find that people, I've, over the years, when people have problems in their life, that they have sin problems, you know what those problems really relate to? If they have unresolved conflicts and issues, what those problems relate to, really, because I've watched people get ticked off. You believe they're doing that? You believe, oh, stupid person. Blah, 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 blah. No, what their problem is, is they got a problem in their relationship with God. If they can get that worked out, if they can get their vertical relationship with God right, if they can humble themselves before the Lord, you watch everything else in their life just like that start to fix itself. That's what, I, what, I, what I'm saying here this morning is the answer for everything is Jesus. He's the answer. He's the answer. Mm. If you're coming here today, if you're a guest and you're bringing with you, nobody else may know, but you're bringing a boatload of trouble with you, I've got one solution for you. His name's Jesus. His name's Jesus. His name's Jesus. And he can fix you. Andrew Robine, can he fix you? Can he get rid of prescription drugs out of your life? Yes, he can. Jesus can, can take care of that. 
Olivia, what a beautiful, amazing testimony, and you did a stellar job. Where's she at? Where's she at? She was so nervous this morning. She was so nervous, but she did a great job. She did a great job. And all she did really was tell her story. Nothing else, nothing else works, Olivia, at the end of the day. We all know that. You're at least smart enough to figure that out. A lot of people go through their whole life and they never figure it out. They never figure it out. And you know what? I can't do life without Jesus and at work. I need Jesus in my life. That's what makes the church the church. Jesus is the centerpiece of all of it. He said in Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's probably my favorite verse in the scripture. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Some people are like, well, man, I, I, I believe in God. I, I, I love God. I love God. He's... But the truth is, if you were to you know, put it down onto a list, he falls in number four, five, six, maybe number three, maybe number two. Listen, God, God's not going to play second fiddle to anything or any body and if I can get him first in my life people are like well I just got to work more hours I just man I got bills man I got well I got this I got to do I got that I got to do I got this I got to take care of and they're and they're running after this and they're running after that and they're just going like my life isn't working my life isn't working out it's because God's second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth or tenth and it's just it won't ever work it's really simple, though. If you, if, you can, if you can invert that and put him at the top of the list, and he is God and there is none else, he's God in my life. I'm going to let him lead my life. I'm going to let him direct my life. If you let him be number one, all these things shall be added unto you. It's a byproduct of God being first. And, I, and again, we don't have time here this morning, but we could share 50 stories just right here this morning of people that, I call it redemption in lift, people that had nothing. They, 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 were, they were so mixed up, and met, but they began to put Jesus first in their life. And you watch over time how God just starts adding and adding and adding. And they're so blessed because they put God first. So if we're going to have a household, Jesus has to be number one. Final thing, if you'd stand together with me, please. Thank you. Thank you for being attentive this morning. The second thing that we do, God first. The second thing that we do is that we reach out and we reach in to our household. What does that mean? It's, Corey, we've learned, right? It's not just us and ours. It's not just me and mine. It's, it's, it's the family. You know what that means? When a service ends... I'm looking up to God. I'm praying to the Lord. Some, some services, do you know, they're, they, they've got your name all over them. They're for you. There are other times that a service finishes and your head is on a swivel and you're looking around and you're like, I feel like somebody over here is a little challenged. They're struggling. And what that means then is then I, I, out of a heart of love for God and for my family of God, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to be there for them because it's not just about me. Somebody said amen. amen. We keep the family healthy by doing our part, by taking an active role in loving and helping one another. The other kids in the church, we thank God for them. The other families in the church, we thank God for them. Because it's not just me and mine, it's us and ours.